Welcome to Lab Talk, a special edition podcast produced by the Scientist Creative Services team, where we explore topics at the leading edge of innovative research. This episode is brought to you by 10x Genomics, which builds solutions for interrogating biological systems at a resolution and scale that matches the complexity of biology. Their rapidly expanding suite of products, which includes instruments, consumables, and software, enables fundamental discoveries across multiple research areas, including cancer, immunology, and neuroscience. Cancer immunotherapies are saving lives, but researchers still have a long journey ahead of them. Many cancers that are initially sensitive to immunotherapy acquire resistance over time, while others are resistant from the beginning. In this episode, Nikki Spotch from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with Stephanie Dugan, an associate professor of immunology at Harvard Medical School and a principal investigator at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute about her research developing immunotherapies for resistant tumors. I've been interested in cancer immunology for a long time. It always made sense to me that the immune system can exquisitely recognize the difference between pathogens and your own self tissue. And so that self non self distinction makes a lot of sense for fighting off infectious disease. It always seemed to me that it should be able to do this for cancer too. Cancer is a little bit trickier in that it is a disease of self origin. And so many of the features of cancer cells look like your normal healthy tissues as well. But I guess I always had faith that the immune system could make the difference. Stephanie Dugan's faith in the immune system has led her to explore immunotherapy as a treatment for a variety of cancers. However, while cancer immunotherapies, which help patients' immune systems fight tumors, are promising alternatives to standard chemo and radiation therapies, they can be ineffective if cancer cells become resistant to their mechanisms of action. Some cancers, such as pancreatic ductal adenocarcinomas, the most common form of pancreatic cancer, are almost completely resistant to immunotherapies at the outset. This is a really terrible disease. It affects about 60,000 Americans a year, both the patients and their families, in a devastating way. It's a disease that's been refractory to not just immunotherapy, but also chemotherapies and targeted agents. We've really not made a lot of progress. The five-year survival is still hovering around 10% for this disease. And the problems are multifactorial. Most patients already present with metastatic disease at the time of diagnosis. This is so discouraging. And so thinking about what we could do to rev up the immune system to actually go out and sort of find those sites of nano and micrometastases uh, to be able to completely eradicate tumors in this population. We've taken this on as a challenge. Many of the features that make pancreatic cancer so bad are actually true for a lot of other cancers as well. So the thought is if we could develop therapies for this disease, that it would have spillover benefits to many other cancers that are partially responsive to current checkpoint blockade. Previously, researchers found a link between acquired immunotherapy resistance in melanoma patients and a loss of interferon gamma sensing and MHC class 1 presentation in cancer cells. Interferon gamma regulates the genes responsible for getting MHC1 molecules to the cell surface. Normally, MHC1 presents cancer antigens to cytotoxic CD8 T cells, which go on to attack the abnormal cells. However, Downregulation of MHC1 makes cancer cells invisible to T-cells, allowing them to evade the immune response and thrive. 
Dugan and other researchers have successfully enhanced the immune system's anti-tumor response in resistant cancers with small molecules that degrade cellular inhibitor of apoptosis proteins, or CIAPs. This CIAP antagonism enhances signaling pathways that can induce cancer cell apoptosis, stimulate cytokine release and T-cell activation, and promote phagocytosis of tumor cells. In a close collaboration with scientists at the pharmaceutical company Novartis, Dugan and her team began to explore the effects of IAP antagonists in pancreatic cancer. We asked how these IAP antagonists were actually killing tumor cells. And we first looked for the obvious. Did they kill tumor cells directly? You can put as much of this drug as you want on these tumor cells and they will not die. They don't slow down their growth. They don't appear to do anything. So we could not kill these cells in vitro. We then looked in mice that had competent immune systems, and all of a sudden these tumors were regressing. And so we asked what aspect of the immune system might be important here, and we looked in a variety of different mice that lacked various cells of the immune system, T-cells broadly, CD8 cells, CD4 T-cells, B-cells, cross-presenting dendritic cells. And we found that the efficacy of these IAP antagonists was dependent on the presence of CD8 T-cells and cross-presenting dendritic cells. If IAP antagonism works through cytotoxic CD8 T-cells and cross-presenting dendritic cells, which prime CD8 T-cell responses, T-cells might directly interact with the tumor cells. However, this is not possible in most pancreatic cancers because they lack AMHC1, which T-cell receptors bind to. Dugan hypothesized that there was an intermediate player that indirectly connected the CD8 T-cell response to the invisible cancer cells. We went back and said, what is present in these pancreatic cancers that maybe we missed? We looked using the 10x genomics platform to do single-cell RNA sequencing of all of the different cells in the pancreatic cancer microenvironment, and we saw that there were a ton of macrophages. And when we asked what was changing between the vehicle and the drug-treated tumors, we could see that there was this population of macrophages that looked a little bit odd. They were macrophages that also looked like they had another cell with them. What we hypothesized is that these could be macrophages that had phagocytosed another cell. We asked, is this how the tumor cells are being killed? So we made fluorescent tumor cells. And we looked in tumors and we isolated the macrophages. And you could see that macrophages had taken up puncta bits of these fluorescent tumor cells and that this was dramatically increased with these IAP antagonists. So we saw this by flow cytometry. We saw this by imaging flow cytometry. You could see this by immunofluorescence. And it was a really big difference between the vehicle and the drug-treated mice. We had a little bit of a pushback, though, saying, well, okay, macrophages, they just eat stuff. That's what they do, especially dead cells. So we struggled for a long time asking, how can we really show that the macrophage is eating a live cell and then the tumor cell dies because it's inside the macrophage phagolysosome? We made an in vitro system where we could generate these tumorcidal macrophages, and we just watched them under the microscope and made a video you can see the macrophages crawling around, grabbing live tumor cells, engulfing the live tumor cell, and eating it up. When we saw that movie in our lab, we all realized this is actually real. 
It was a great day. In addition to the in vitro assays assessing macrophage-mediated phagocytosis, Dugan performed in vivo experiments in several mouse models of pancreatic cancer. Using the mice deficient in various immune cell populations, she confirmed that CD8 T-cells were essential for the success of IAP antagonists killing MHC1-negative cancer cells, even though the T-cells were not directly interfacing with the tumors. While the number of T-cells in the pancreatic cancer microenvironment was low, she hypothesized that in response to IAP antagonism, they secreted a factor that targeted a large number of localized macrophages and spurred them into action. One candidate was the cytokine lymphotoxin, which has many functions in both the innate and adaptive immune responses. When the researchers blocked the cytokine with antibodies or used lymphotoxin-deficient mice, IAP antagonists no longer killed pancreatic tumor cells. Additionally, in vitro, macrophages did not respond to IAP antagonist treatment without lymphotoxin. These results showed that lymphotoxin links the adaptive and innate immune responses, the T-cells, to the macrophages in the tumor microenvironment. This is how the T-cells are able to mediate this tumor specificity. It's antigen specificity-ish. It's not that the T-cells actually kill the tumor cells, but because they're activated by tumor antigen presented on dendritic cells in the tumor microenvironment, you're only getting this T-cell activation locally in response to the tumor antigen. So these T-cells are tumor-specific. And then they're secreting cytokines, which are short-lived and don't diffuse very far. They can activate macrophages in a small area, which really keeps it confined to the tumor. And so this is why you don't have macrophages all over the body eating up stuff. It really happens in a localized manner that's specific to the cancer. Because most of Dugan's studies were performed in mouse models, whether human cells can make lymphotoxin in vivo in response to IAP antagonism remains an open question. Additionally, she suspects that there are unknown pro-phagocytic signals facilitating the physical interaction of macrophages and tumor cells. Moving forward, Dugan hopes to answer these questions and explore T-cell reprogramming of phagocytes into cancer cell killers in response to other agents and in other cancers. We've been very excited to think about this macrophage-tumor cell interaction as well as how T-cells can be governing antigen-specific responses in the absence of being able to see MHC class 1 on the tumor cells. And so we've looked both in other drug settings outside of IAP antagonists, but looking at other immunotherapies and asked how many of these are really requiring MHC class 1. And it is surprisingly fewer than we would have expected. So I think this idea that you can get T-cell-dependent control of class 1 negative tumors operating through some other innate cell in the middle is actually more common than we might have appreciated. So this has become a major focus of the lab, as well as thinking about that end step and how we can get macrophages to phagocytose more of these tumor cells than they do at baseline. Thank you for listening to The Scientist Lab Talk. This episode was produced by the Creative Services team for The Scientist and narrated by Nikki Spotch. Thanks again to our sponsor, 10X Genomics. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts.